0: Hi, and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature Podcast with me, Chris Jordan. This week, I'm talking to Dr. Liana Silva. Liana is an English teacher in Houston, Texas, chair of the Modern Language Association's Committee on K 16 Alliances. We discuss the best books she's ever read, taught, or learned, a brief introduction to her career to date, and her school's recent switch to IB. Liana's initial impressions of the IB curriculum and how staff and students are taking to it. The ways in which the school have had to amend the previous curriculum to meet the expectations of the IB. Where Liana stands on teaching traditional texts that ensure cultural capital for students versus using texts that are more representative of global identities. How the MLA committee on K-16 alliances better informs the work she does in the English classroom the best resource Liana's come across recently that has improved her teaching practice, and if she could help change one thing in the US for teachers, what it would be. Thanks so much to Liana for bridging the massive time difference between Houston and Hong Kong in order to offer her ideas and advice on teaching. There is a passage of audio in the recording where it sounds as if the microphone is muffled or playing up in some way, but in actual fact, this is just a curious cat purring at the superb observations made by Dr. Silver. It does pass quickly and it doesn't obscure the dialogue too much, so please bear with it. If you'd like to be made aware of when more education chat like this happens, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast and or follow me on Twitter at ChrisJordanHK. All right, then, Leanna, to start with a uh, nice, easy one for you. What is the best book you've ever read, taught or learned?
1: My favorite one to teach is Frankenstein. Um, it's I, I insist on teaching it every year that I have IB students. I've been teaching it since uh, we, well, when when we became part of IB um, we were using the old curriculum, the pre, I guess, pre-2021 exams. And I started teaching Frankenstein because I needed, I was trying to figure out the the, uh, the time. We had to oh, do yeah. the time, had to be a certain time period and and uh, different parts of the world. And so I was trying to figure out texts that I had already read, <laughs> that I had already read and I could bring into the curriculum because. Because everything else was so um, everything else was so new that I figured the one thing I can control are books that I've read. So, and and not have to reinvent the wheel reading a new book. So I I had read Frankenstein in college and I had enjoyed it. And I brought it, I brought it to the classroom. And it was just so rich and interesting. And my favorite part is that. Students go from not really, not really understanding what all the fuss is about, and not really understanding why Dr. Silva is so excited about this, to mm-hmm. really getting into the 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 ethical questions of the book, and they they start seeing. Frankenstein themes everywhere around them and it blows their mind. And I love to be there for that. And I've read the book six, seven times at this point mm. uh, over, you know, as, as I teach. And every time it's not like, I don't know what happens, but every time I find new things uh, to teach, I find new passages that I think are really interesting um I I the students teach me something new about it so it's a really it's a rich text and I I insist on teaching it every year
0: Mm, superb answer it's um when when um everywhere went into lockdown um one of the kind of very very few um lights to kind of come out of that were highlights to come out of it was the fact that i think the national theater in the uk was just throwing things on youtube for absolutely free and that frankenstein mm-hmm. production i don't know if you've ever heard of it where uh, i think it's benedict cumberbatch and uh, is it johnny lee miller um and then they, they used to do a thing where like one night one of them would play the monster and the next night the other one would and they used to switch over like again and again and again and i watched that when we were in lockdown it just reminded me like how amazing that story is heartbreaking but also like you say mm-hmm. like ethically like an incredible an incredible story um you, you kind of like referred to there the fact that like you made the switch to ib um recently can you give us a bit of like a um an introduction to your career to date and and kind of um, bring us up to date with where your school are with regard to the shift into the IB curriculum?
1: Sure. Um, so when I I started teaching at my high school, a large public urban high school in, in Texas, um, I started teaching here 2016 and uh, they were they were still teaching, they still had the AP advanced placement curriculum. And so I was brought in to teach AP literature at the time, but they were getting ready to submit their, um, they were getting to submit paperwork to IB. I'm trying to remember, I wasn't part of the of the administrative stuff at the mm-hmm. time, but I know that they were, um, one of my colleagues was in charge of putting together uh, the syllabus for, or not the syllabus, our uh, course plan for the mm. first the first two years of IB language and literature, uh, IB English language and literature. And so um, I think at that point we had already gone through the interviews and the process that we were just submitting that for the first year. So um, I was there for the first year of, of IB. Um, Before that, before I I taught high school, um, I I did a couple of other things. I was uh, an editor for I was an editor in chief of a professional publication for uh, women in higher education, which was called Women in Higher Education. And I was managing editor. I still am managing editor of Sounding Out, which is an academic blog. And so I was doing that. Um, before, before I decided to switch back to, um, to teaching. Um, But before, before editing, I was involved in, I worked at college. So I was, uh, I was uh, an adjunct professor for a while. Um, I taught while I was getting my PhD. And I also, I taught at, at several other um, institutions until I landed on editing. And so, and, and I really enjoyed editing, but I, I missed being in the classroom and I really enjoyed the energy of being at school, being, being around students, helping them with uh, all the little things that go throughout the school year. and. Um, a family member suggested I try high school. She said there are a lot of people, or there there are a lot of um, there are a lot of kids out there who need people who enjoy teaching and who enjoy being in school and who want to be there. And so you should you should consider it. And so that's how I ended up in 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 school <laughs> in in high school. So yeah, I was so when I came in, they brought me in to teach AP literature. Um, they were they were really interested in the fact that I I had uh, a, I had content knowledge that I had a degree in English, and they wanted me to teach AP Lit. And then after that year, it was hey, so we're going to switch to IB. <laughs> so let's uh, so let's try that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, and what are, what are your initial? I don't know about you. I I kind of obviously coming from the UK, like a level English is so it's not incredibly different to IB, but IB does have its quirks and it's kind of parochial kind of like language and and requirements. Mm -hmm. What are your initial impressions of the IB curriculum and how are staff and and students taken to it at your school?
1: Um, So it's, it's, I think that's the tricky part, right? That IB has its own—I don't want to say jargon, but it—it is—it can it sometimes seem like its own universe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, I think sometimes um, students and staff, because you know we're fairly recent to the IB universe or uh, fairly newcomers, um, I think sometimes students and staff take that to mean only certain people can teach IB. Only certain kids can be in IB. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of the things that our IB coordinator and, and myself too, I, th- I think, I think I try to convey this too, is that it's not only that the IB curriculum, the skills that you learn in the IB curriculum are not only for, um, are not only for the really, really high-performing kids, but that anybody can benefit from these higher-level conversations. Uh, any any student could benefit from a from a really from an international worldview. That it it's, it's in the benefit of our society to have more people out there who can think of themselves in relation to the world. And so we we try to convey, especially because we're also, um, we're in the process of becoming an IB world school. So bringing in the NYP um, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm less familiar with MYP, but we're trying to also bring that to our school. So um, we're trying to get across to, we're trying to get across to students and staff that it's not that there are a lot of us who can talk about, um, there are a lot of us who can, who can be part of that universe. So, or at least that a lot of students could benefit from a little bit of IB.
0: Yeah. A little
1: bit of the IB, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit of the IB um, approach, the, the, the questions we ask and things like that.
0: Is it it an elective in the school or is it like all of the students do the diploma program or how how does it work administratively?
1: Yeah. So at our school, students uh, join the IB diploma program. So it's uh, it's what we call a pathway. Um, After uh, 10th grade, students can elect. A certain track of classes, whether it's uh, at our school, we have we have uh, the pharmacy uh, track, and we also have, uh, I believe, um, uh, medical. I think biomedical uh, technology mm-hmm. track, um, graphic design track, and so we've incorporated the diploma program as one of our tracks, and so the students in, in the diploma program, you know, they have the the full battery of diploma program classes. So that's, that's, that's what they do, but we also have, um, so that's a small number, but we also have a big number of um, IB certificate students. So those are students who are taking the class uh, who aren't, who don't want to do the diploma program because of, whatever reason, they don't want to do the whole, uh, the whole slate, but they are interested in staying in an advanced English class.
0: And, and so, um, sorry. And, and then, um, w- with regards to like the MYP, are you, is, is the school's kind of plan to have the three-year course or the five-year course Are you hoping that you can do, like a uh, uh, an MYP course that runs all the way into the diploma program is that part of the long term aim?
1: No, they were. I think the plan is all of the ninth and tenth graders are in MYP, and at the end of tenth grade, they elect either to continue in diploma yeah. program or to go onto one of the tracks. Um, so in in theory. All of our students at one point in their careers at the school will have had some contact with the IB curriculum. I
0: see.
1: But they don't have to go into the diploma program. They can they can uh, go straight into um, another one of the career programs we have.
0: I see. Um to what extent you, you i think you mentioned that you came in in like 2016 so i suppose mm-hmm. the, the the transition or the switch to ib was already on the horizon and um, yes. what kind of com- what kind of conversations or observations ha- have you seen or heard in terms of the amendments that you've had to make to the previous curriculum either the ap curriculum or um, and whatever curriculum um, that mm-hmm. would pertain to Uh, to meet the expectations of the IB and what are the, what are the pros and cons of that um, shift in your opinion?
1: Well, one of the, one of the things that I had to switch was uh, move away from the multiple choice question Mm. assessments, tests in part because AP literature Uh, gives the students college credit through the test right it all comes down to there's a three hour test a little less than three hours there's a three hour test can you pass it and it seems efficient but one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that it doesn't give a full picture of what the student is capable of right so um one of the things that I had to adjust was, well, we're not going to be practicing multiple choice questions. We're not, that's, that's not a part that I'm going to bring over to the new curriculum. So what are some other assessments? What are some other ways that I can, I can prepare the students? So that's, that's one thing that um, we had to move away from that. And um, to be honest, that's an easy like multiple choice questions are an easy thing that you could incorporate <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. to be frank it's something yeah. easy you can well we're going to do multiple choice questions on Friday uh it's a shorter class so let's just do that but um so there's a lot there's some more um forward planning if if, if that makes sense there's a lot more forward yeah. planning in terms of the assessments um I'm also I've become much more um I've, uh, my the assessments I picked for the class, I'm a lot more deliberate about. Like, so this is an assessment. So we're going to do this activity, and this is going to help us prepare for this assessment. And we're practicing the skills for this other assessment. So there's there's a lot more forethought into the assessments that I I have them do throughout the year. Um, the 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 formative and summative assessments versus okay so at the end of every grading cycle, let's practice the AP essay yeah. um, at the end of every cycle let's practice the multiple choice uh, the multiple choice questions that you're going to see right so there's a lot I got to thinking more about what kind of different assessments but that also means that it was it's it's a more interesting class I don't want to say, I feel bad saying that, but it's more interesting. There's a lot more, I've done a lot more projects with them. Um, I've I've given them, there's a lot more choice in part because we have to train them or I think that I, I need to prepare them for the IB assessments because for the IB assessments, they have to. Go ahead and select things on their own. Their topics, yeah. their their um, how they're going to organize their analysis. There's a lot more of that involved, and so I I like to get them used to that by practicing those skills with other projects. So yeah, that's it, something that I've had to do. Yeah,
0: is it, um with regards to like AP um, English literature. Is it? I know that in the UK it's very uh anglo-centric in the sense of like the, the there's a big shift under the conservative government like about 10 years ago where it's we're only going to focus on british texts and all that kind of thing and i think one massive difference in ib that you kind of alluded to earlier is the fact that y- you are more of a world you have to be more worldly wise in terms of like the the topics that come up in the texts that get covered um you manage to kind of bring frankenstein to bear in terms of um like something that you've covered before and bringing that into the course but how many of the books or how many of the texts or writers that you would previously have had to have taught on the ap course have have stayed the same in in the ib course and how many new writers have you had to implement Mm
1: -hmm. i don't think i've kept i think i kept frankenstein and i recently added um A Raisin in the Sun, which I did mm. do under AP Lid. Um, and it took me a while to bring back A Raisin in the Sun because um I I was conscientious that my my the books I kept on gravitating toward, or the authors I kept on gravitating toward, were very American, and so I've, with IB now, I'm I'm trying to be, uh, trying to be conscientious of, that can't be the focus of the class, right? That it has to be, the the focus of the class has to be has to go beyond what. American author, to do it. So, uh, so, so that's something that I've had to, that I've had to move away from. And then, um, I did, w- and, but I will say that when I was teaching AP literature, I was trying to be mindful of getting them to read books that were not the same, that were not the canon, right? Mm. Um, and that was and that was tricky for me because um, I was aware that the texts that routinely get taught in AP, the texts that are suggested at the end, right? Where they have that, that free uh, the, the free text question in AP literature. Um, I mean, it's been a few years since I've, since I've taught it, so I don't know if this has changed, but they would, at the end of the test, they would have a question where it would be like a very general question regarding themes or setting or um, uh, literary devices. And they would ask you to write uh, write an essay responding to the prompt using one of the books you read and they would always have a list of texts. Like for example, these are some texts, you know, texts of quote unquote, literary merit. And so they were very, it was very canonical. And, and Mm. as a result, if you're, if as a teacher, if you're thinking, I want my students to be able to, to get a good score, it's, it's tempting to look at that list and think, okay, so what are the books that I'm going to teach because they can use those books to answer any of these questions. And so I, I was, I was aware that I was aware of that list, but I also wanted to make sure that we had some sort of diversity in, in the Mm. texts that we had. So that's something that, that I, I am conscientious of, but, Being in the IB program, I'm much more, I'm becoming more conscientious of my biases in terms of the texts I teach and in terms Mm -hmm. of the even the concepts that I pick to discuss in the class. I was talking to the students about that um, in terms of the HL, their HL essay revisions, that there are these seven concepts. And I told them, I know for a fact that I talk a lot or I will always even in my sleep i will talk about representation i'll talk about identity i'll talk about culture but those are not uh, i try not to only focus on that and those are not the only concepts that you can approach in your hl essay you can bring in perspective you can bring in transformation and mm-hmm. or you can look at, at at these others so i'm becoming much more conscientious of my bias as a teacher in the us
0: mm. That kind of brings me on like quite neatly to that um next question, which is like where where do you stand on the the teaching of traditional texts that ensure mm-hmm. cultural capital um for students versus using texts that are a bit more representative of global identities, for example, like Frankenstein and even a raisin in the sun now, actually, like both of those texts I would consider to be um mm-hmm fairly canonical i'm not sure what that mm. word means anymore um yeah. <laughs> but certainly like the lorraine, lorraine hansbury yeah like I, I i think erasing this one albeit a relatively more contemporary text has definitely entered the western canon um mm. where, where do you stand on that in terms of um like uh, I've never, I don't really have a very strong understanding of US education, but I know that it's it's probably more of a diverse um, kind of uh, school body than you would find in the UK. Uh, maybe not to the same extent of the international schools you would find in the Middle East and, and, and Far East and places like that. But yeah, how, how what are you thinking about in terms of that kind of, Tug of war between yeah cultural capital and like new, new, new perspectives.
1: Well, uh, there there is a growing movement among English teachers in general here in the U.S. to bring more diverse texts, more texts that provide a different perspective into the classroom, bring texts that are, um, that are not just representative of the kids who are sitting in our classroom, but that are more representative of uh, the people and uh, the the questions and the problems that people around, not just around the U.S., but around the world face, right? So there, there is a growing movement to bring more of those and to push back against sticking with the canon just because it's what we've done, right? Quote unquote, it's what we've, what we've done. Um, So I I am mindful of that. And I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I think that it's, it's important for students to see those different perspectives, A. B, it's important for students to see their own lives represented in some Mm -hmm. of the texts, right? So why should, why should, the experiences of, um, of affluent white men be the only experiences that are seen as universal, for example, mm-hmm. right? But I'm also, it's, it's a delicate balance for me as, as an English teacher who teaches a class that at the end of the day, right, they wanna get college credit for, mm-hmm. and my, my students are thinking about college, Right, so that's something that all of my students, whether they're diploma program or whether they're um, they're on the other uh, tracks we have at our school, that's something that they're all they all have in common. After this, they're looking to go to college, and they're hoping to get college credit for the class. And so, um, I feel that it's it's a delicate balance between bringing in those diverse perspectives that I know are important and that make a difference in in their lives versus the getting the cultural capital that for better, for worse, college professors, at least here in the U.S., will assume they know. Right. And having been a first generation college student, I've been there, right? I know what it is to walk into a classroom. I was I was an English major, and so I I know what it's like to walk into a classroom. And the professor is talking about things, and referring to authors or texts, and I've I don't know I don't know what it is, right? Mm-hmm. I don't I I nod my head and I take notes, but after class I would have to go and look it up because. As an English major, I didn't want to be left out of the conversation. And I assumed, oh, this is something I'm supposed to know. And clearly, if if I want to, clearly, this is what an English major is supposed to know, right? And that's that's problematic in itself, but <laughs> that's not, it's not what we're talking about. Um, so I, I do try to be mindful of, there are some texts that provide cultural capital, that Students in in a four year college, if they go to a say introduction to humanities course, if they go, if they end up in a in an introduction to American literature, introduction to British literature course, they may they may come across. And so, Mm -hmm. it's it's a delicate balance. And some days I'm on one end, and some days I'm on the other. Like last year, I did, uh, I taught Antigone. Mm -hmm. As one of my texts in translation. And I, I enjoyed it a lot, but it was hard for me. It was my first time teaching it. Plus we were, we were hybrid. And so that was its own problem. Um, so I, I enjoyed it, but it was hard for me. I don't know. I I'm still not sure how I feel about teaching it again, even though it was, it was, it's a good text to teach. Um, I think I need more time with it. But aside from that, um, so yeah, like I, 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 some, some years I will, I will tip the balance a little towards texts that provide that cultural capital. And I'll, other years I'll tip the balance a little more towards diverse, interesting. I mean, interesting in all sorts of levels, you know, because I'm, I'm not, I'm not one to I'm not one to walk away from a challenge. So I like, sometimes I'll see on, on Twitter, a lot of teachers talking about a lot of IB teachers talking about new bodies of work that they're doing or like, Oh, I'm trying this book and out. And that just gets me thinking about super interesting things that you're not going to find. You're not going to find a bevy of resources just floating around versus Frankenstein. Right. A lot of people have taught Frankenstein a lot of resources out there, but um, it's it's a challenge to teach new things, and I I think that challenge is fun.
0: Yeah, and I think it's refreshing to kind of put yourself in the position of the pupils, right? Like you're kind of like you're almost um, taking the text in at the same rate that they are, and you can kind Absolutely. of debate things and and sort of have disagreements and agreements. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. I always
0: I always think about like the the ancient Greek writers. I always feel like those guys get a free pass as being like um, sort of very wealthy white males, which they obviously must have been, but it seems so long ago and I so... <laughs> I can't like Google image them. I can't see them in their kind of like their plush leather armchairs smoking a, a pipe or anything. It's almost like they get a free pass. I almost think of them as... um something that is kind of uh from a different a different part of the world or a different sort of um something different from like dickens or shakespeare or something like that when obviously they're not but yeah that that balance is something which i think it's um i think it's interesting from like an american perspective but certainly from an international perspective it's a bit like where do you start in terms of i suppose if you're if you're in an american school you could kind of reach out to wouldn't it be interesting to like look at the literature of puerto rico or hawaii or um you know alaska or kind of you know these the the, the sort of indigenous people from those places and stuff like that but i suppose like if you're in like a hong kong school where do you uh, or or a school in singapore or 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 tokyo or wherever where do you begin because like our, our our um student body i think there's like a hundred different nationalities and i can find a really cool text from brazil Mm -hmm. and i feel like "Ah, i could have just done great expectations here like what why (laughs) is it why is it worth you know what i mean and 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 it, it is kind of that eternal balancing act like you're referring to before i think it makes a fascinating consideration and and yeah it's it's well
1: and and one thing that that I've been uh thinking about so I have two responses to that with one being I thought it was interesting you brought up Puerto Rico because I'm from Puerto Rico all right I I often I would I I shy away from bringing in text by Puerto Rican authors because I feel like that's just for me as a teacher. That's too easy, and that would be leaning way into my own personal bias. Mm-hmm. But you bring up a good point. Why shouldn't I bring in a text by a Puerto Rican author and and weave it into into the curriculum? Right? Why shouldn't I bring in, say, a text from a Puerto Rican author from the eighteen hundreds?
0: Mm-hmm. That's in
1: translation. Why shouldn't I do that? So I, I don't know. I that totally went over my head. Um, and then the other thing is. Uh, regarding that delicate balance with the, um, with canonical texts, I remember, uh, reading a few Twitter threads regarding this, this movement to bring more diverse authors into the curriculum. And, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember it's, it's all a haste, but, um, I remember someone talking about how one of the arguments against that is that people feel whoever these people are they feel like well if we're teaching these diverse texts then does that mean we're just going to throw away everything else are we going to throw away Mm -hmm. Shakespeare are we going to throw away um Dickens are we going to throw away Mary Shelley and and then and also well what if my school makes me teach Dickens and Mary Shelley like so what am I supposed to do about that and one of the arguments that that um, folks on Twitter brought up was that just because you have to teach, for example, uh, Joseph Conrad, or just because you have to teach Mary Shelley, doesn't yeah. mean that you can't ask those big questions, right? Why? And one of the things yeah. that I've brought up in my class, for example, is we are, with, with Mary Shelley, we are talking about a white woman in 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 uh, England in the 18th 1800s, right? So um, how is she representing the other? And how is that, you know, how is that problematic, right? So the other represented through um, uh, through the creature, right? So then how is that problematic? Um, also, the other thing that you could talk about is how all of the characters that we see in the book are men. Right. So mm. the women like, for example, um, Walton is writing to his sister, but we don't know what's going on with the sister. We're basically as readers, we're basically reading somebody else's correspondence right? mm. <laughs> where we're put in the position of reading somebody else's correspondence who never gets to respond, who never gets to say, who never gets to we never get to see what she has to say about that. And so I even if if I'm teaching the canonical text, I will get the students, I try to get the students to think about questions of, of, of power, questions of balance, questions of where is this? So who, who isn't here? And who mm. gets their story told? Who doesn't get their story told? And I think that if you're in the position where you have to teach those canonical texts, you can still ask those questions, right? And still get the students thinking. Now, we I don't think that we should have all canonical texts because um, that would be kind of boring. But if you're in the position where you have to or you feel like, you know, I really, like me, I really do like teaching Frankenstein. <laughs> um, I think it's still, there's still room to ask those big questions yeah. that you that diverse texts would bring to the forefront immediately right we could still ask that about mary shelley mary shelley's frankenstein can still be a really interesting text and we could still be like so we all know she was white and that her dad was a writer and she had access to a whole bunch of people who were also writers Mm -hmm. but also she kind of got a raw deal right like she could even put her name on her first manuscript so she had to you know she had to come up with 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 a pseudonym and her husband wrote um the foreword to that and everyone was like oh well maybe he's no so like there's there are a lot of questions I think that we can ask about those canonical texts and that we should ask
0: yeah it's it's a big kind of I think IB do push or at least at the diploma level um the idea of uh, like the the different literary lenses or literary criticism and stuff and mm. they've got that um that there is like a, an exemplar essay doing around somewhere on like in thinking or um uh, like the mm. ib kind of uh my ib uh, portal itself it's like a queer reading of iago and othello and and, and that is like the exciting thing mm. if you can mm. if you can bring that to bear in terms of like feminist marxist um post-colonial readings then yeah there's no reason why um yeah we can't like platform these kind of texts which are which are complicated and and are troubling in like in in a number of different ways but we can kind of discuss it across mm-hmm. both both kind of um in both ways um you, in in terms of like the um the committee that you're part of, like the MLA committee uh, yeah. on like K to sixteen alliances, how, how does that better inform the work that you do in in English classrooms?
1: Well, um, I'm I'm currently the chair of the committee, but I've been a part of MLA governance for over five years now, I want to say maybe 10 in some way, shape or form. I've been part of different committees and as a grad student, that was, or I felt that that was what grad students in English did. You were supposed to join the MLA and be part of the professional organization in your field. So Mm -hmm. I've been in MLA since I went to grad school, or since I started grad school, I should say. Um, and so for me, um, being part of MLA in general, I feel is important for me staying relevant in terms of the content, in terms of what people at the college level are, are talking about, what they're interested yeah. in, um, attending the conference every year. I want to say MLA is, is probably the conference that I go to almost every year. Um, and. Yeah, I'm, I think that's the one I go to. <laughs> I've tried to, because I've gone to other conferences, but I think that's the one that routinely in January. That's that's on my calendar that I that I go to MLA. And for me, it's important to stay relevant, not just as a member of the profession, as someone who who considers herself um, a scholar of of literature, but also in terms of what I bring to the classroom. Um, I think it's it's for me, it's really important to stay relevant in terms of content. So um, not just in terms of um, pedagogical approaches, which I think uh, K through 12 is always on the forefront. Like there are a lot of things now that I've been teaching uh, in a high school scenario for for a few years now, I can tell a lot of the conversations that my colleagues, not just on campus, but also on Twitter, on social media, at other schools that I've met uh, at conferences, a lot of the stuff that they're talking about takes a while to trickle up. And so I, I find that really, really fascinating. Um, so on the one hand, um, MLA is relevant for me as a I would say as a content specialist, I consider that as an IB English language and literature teacher, I should be I should not just be trained in the in the pedagogy, but also in the content. I should be able to talk about those lenses for those literary Mm -hmm. lenses, for example. Um, On the other hand, um, my work with um, my work with with the committee has forced me to think about how MLA could make itself more relevant to teachers, uh, at the K through 12 level. So for me, like, it's just, it's just part of my life, right? I, I pay my membership dues every year. Um, I, I, I budget for my conference, right? Um, I I go and attend the conference. I participate in MLE governance, but that's not a given for a lot of my a lot of my colleagues. In part because there are professional organizations for teachers at the K-12 level. So for for English, at least here in the United States, their NCTE, National Council of Teachers of English. Uh, For us as IB teachers, like there's the IB conference, right? So there are conferences that, and and professional development offerings that as teachers, we get routinely. And so my uh, or the committee's challenge and by extension as chair my challenge is so how can MLA make itself relevant to these teachers what can MLA offer that other organizations can't and that's what we're currently working through trying to figure out what can we what can we give teachers mm-hmm. um and and it's interesting that i uh, that i'm i'm chair at this time because there's so much the the profession is so strained right now in terms of what, what we're being asked to do, what, what we're having to balance uh, uh, less, there are fewer teachers, more obligations, and everybody's just kind of at their wits end. (laughs) So um, asking people to join another, uh, another, uh, another organization, another professional organization seems like, like, it seems like the last thing we should be asking people to do. Um, but I think it also prompts us to ask those difficult questions. So what can we offer? If we can't, if we can't stay relevant during this time, what, what are we offering? So um, I'm thinking about that a, a lot. Um, and like I said, in part because I see value in the work I do and in being and in staying active in MLA. Um, Mm. in part because I think it's important for me to stay relevant in terms of content. Um, And last point about this. um, I, I also think it's important for college professors, college instructors to stay connected to us, to what we do, because as, as you know, the work that, that you and I do is, is, is always in some way, shape, or form connected to what's happening in, at the college level, right? We know that that's where, that's ultimately where our students are headed. And so I, I'm, I'm also thinking how can, how can we make clear, how can the committee make clear to college instructors that we, that K through 12 teachers are their colleagues, Mm. And not just colleagues in terms of we work in the same field, but that we are colleagues in terms of uh, the discipline, in terms of the profession, that we have something of value. Um, and so <laughs> I, th- I think that's our, that's our challenge as a committee.
0: I, I never thought about it that way before. Actually, you must have. I mean, my entire conception of university is still based on when I went to uni- university. So you kind mm. of having that direct line between the two is, is pretty invaluable actually. I've never met, I don't think I've ever been in contact with anyone in like in tertiary education. So um that's that's clearly a huge advantage. But when you do speak to your colleagues though, um at school or or even when you're kind of conversing with people over the internet, what would you say is the best resource you've come across Recently, like in the past few years, at least, that has improved your teaching practice?
1: Uh, let me see if I find, I pulled it out. I recently came across, and it should be, here it is. I um, recently, I'm ready. Um, I recently, uh, over the summer, I ordered the mm-hmm. Writing Ridge High School Classroom uh, by Jennifer Byrne. And this, I've, I've decided to switch up my IB classes to a writing workshop format. And that has, it's changed what, what I do on a regular basis in, in class. Um, I don't, this is the first year that I've implemented writing workshop, but it has changed, uh, it's changed what, what, what I do. And I'm, I don't think I'm going back. It's not easy, especially in this first year after, after hybrid teaching, after lockdown, (laughs) there's so many other things that are going on, but it's, it's difficult in a fun way. I'm really, I'm really excited to implement the writing workshop model in class and th- definitely this book. It's it's changed what I'm what I'm doing. It's literally oh, changed what I'm doing in my classroom. I'll have
0: to order that myself. Then actually, yeah, I'll link that too. Um, I'll link that in the, the podcast thing. But I'm in the market for as much kind of guidance for, like you said, just getting them back in. Pen to paper, pencil to paper um, is is huge at the moment, isn't it? So that's a great mm-hmm. that's a great tip. Thank you. Um, you, you may have already mentioned this already, or you might have alluded to it already. But last last question would be: if you could help change one thing um, in the U.S. for teachers, mm-hmm. uh, what would that be?
1: If I could change one thing, it would be a limit to how many students we have in the classroom. I think that could change. So many things like I've uh, so many of the teachers that I've spoken to in person on social media um, over the years. One thing that we struggle with, at least in public schools, is the amount of students we have in an English classroom, the amount of students that we have. And if Our focus as professionals is to help the students grow in terms of their reading and writing and communication skills. It's really difficult to do that when you have 35 students in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really difficult to differentiate instruction when you have 30, 35 students in a classroom. And so if there's one thing that I could change, it would be putting, putting a cap on that the same way that a lot of universities here in the US, I don't know if, if it happens across the globe, but at least a lot of universities here in the US have tried to put a cap on the number of students you see in uh, the introduction to college writing courses, like those, those first year courses that a lot of uh, college first year students take. Um, and I think we need that also um, at the at the high school level. Um, for example, at, at my school, um, my our IB classes um, we, we have a lot of IB English classes right but um, we we see between 15 I think I have 15 in one and one class period and I've heard of colleagues uh, who have 35 40. And so and if you are trying to teach, Writing and if you're trying to provide them with the kind of feedback that IB expects us to give them, so that they can grow as as um, as writers and as communicators, you can't do that with 35 students. And the same applies to the on level teachers. So if there's one thing I could do, it would be cap it cap it at 15 20 and get more teachers to teach it. Then,
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't agree more with that really. The, my experience, even now, like I think I've got a class of 32 lower down the school and it's just, even just the difference between 30 and 25 is, 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 is a lot larger than you would think it would yeah. be. And you, you get down to 20 and it's, yeah, they're, they're, they're miles apart, but um,
1: yeah. yeah, Oh yeah. it It is. It is. And um, it's, it's a little sad, right? That as teachers were thinking, if I just had one less student, <laughs> if yeah. I had just one less yeah. student, this would be a little more manageable. Or if I had <laughs> two less, this would be manageable. That's sad because that mm. means I want them to leave. <laughs> yeah, one less personality.
0: Leave. Yeah, I agree. Right. I
1: don't want them to leave, but that's, that's systemically, that's the problem, right? That they're just putting all these students in. Mm. So that would be, that would be my thing.
0: Mm. Fingers crossed. Um, Okay, well, I mean, the last, the only kind of remaining thing to say is um, thank you very much, Liana, for um, giving up your time today. I think we managed to bridge the 13 hour uh, time difference quite uh, effectively. (laughs) So uh, I hope you um, enjoy the rest of your day and I'll um, do my best to kind of uh, go, go to bed now, I think.
1: Sure. Uh, yes, you you need the rest. Uh thank you for staying up. <laughs> and uh yes, thank you for the invite. This was fun.